He is risen. He is risen oh, yes, yes, yes. Listen, for those of you who are not uh, particularly familiar with church culture, that's an age-old tradition where uh, the person up here would make the declaration, he's risen, and then in response, y'all would say he is risen indeed. And you guys caught on to that really quickly, but let's do that one more time. He is risen. Yes, Resurrection Sunday. Happy Easter, everybody. Um, So, so great to be gathered together in the house of the Lord to celebrate the single most incredible event in human history. And of course, we're speaking about the resurrection, the day when Jesus Christ decided to go ahead and break up with death and break out of the grave so that he could freely offer forgiveness and fullness of life to anyone who would receive it. And um, we're so, so grateful uh, to be together. If you're a guest with us, a particular welcome um, to you. Um, Let me just make another quick note. Um, We want to be friendly to our guests and even to our families. So if we can just move towards the middle, and there's some seats in the front for anyone who wants to be bold enough uh, to come close, um, you can feel free to do that as well. But again, so glad if you're a guest, you came to spend some of your morning here with us. And I just want to give you a quick preview, by the way, before we get into what we want to talk about today, that next week we are going to start um, a series in the Psalms. And what we're going to do is we're going to take about five of the top most popular psalms, uh, because the psalms are songs and poems in the Bible. And so we're going to do like the top five and do a a countdown of sorts. And what we're going to discover is what happens when God's people get real and raw with him. And God says, "Uh uh-huh, I'll get real and raw back with you. And they find themselves connecting in those beautiful, precious moments. And so we'd invite you to come back and journey through that with us. But for Um, This morning, we want to uh, take some time to look at uh, a story uh, in which Jesus Christ, true story, raises one of his friends from death to life. Like his friend is dead, Jesus shows up, does a couple of things, and then his friend is Alive, And what we trust is that even as we look at this story on Resurrection Sunday, that the Spirit of God would bring meaningful application to each one of us, regardless of what season of life we might be walking in. I am convinced this story has something for each of us if we would just lean in and listen. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, uh, meet me in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Uh, If you don't have a copy of the Bible, there'll be some guys coming up the aisle. You can just let them know, hey, I need a copy. Raise um, your hand and they'll get one into your hands. If you don't own um, a Bible, please hang on to this as our gift to you. So glad for you to have it. But John chapter 11, and we're going to start reading at verse 1. So, you know, let's just get right into this story. Here's what it says. Um, Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So, uh, this story introduces us to a, a tiny family made up of three siblings. Two sisters, Mary and Martha, and then the lone brother, Lazarus. Um, bless his, his heart. Um, it's the first time we meet Lazarus, but the sisters are familiar to us if you've read the Bible. They are characters we know before. In fact, John goes out of his way to remind us of that, that Mary, she's the same woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears that one time, and then she wiped them dry with her hair that one time, and then she went ahead and poured out all of her perfume on him that one time. That's Mary. Now, if you've read the Bible before, or if you're one of John's initial readers, you'd immediately say, um, but wasn't that Mary a prostitute? To which John would say, yep, I didn't want to be the one to, to say it. But that Mary, that's the one being spoken of here. So unfortunately, Martha and Lazarus had to grow up in a small town with the reputation of being the siblings of that Mary. They were the, the people who lived at that house. Kids, I don't care where you took a treat, but do not go to that house, that Mary, that crazy, funky, dysfunctional family. That Mary, ex-prostitute. Martha, who I suspect is probably the eldest of the three siblings, is somebody who we know as a straight-laced, um, hyper-responsible, meticulously OCD, check-your-to-do-list-twice kind of a uh, duty-bound, duty-oriented girl. Which simply means she's probably single-handedly kept her siblings from dying um, until now, that is. So when this story starts, uh, without warm-up, without a warning, um, John sounds a siren and lets us know that the world has come crashing in and around this little trio of siblings. Darkness has engulfed their home and they are walking through the gloomiest day of their lives. We quickly discover Lazarus, the brother, is terminally ill. Death has latched onto his heel and it is just inching him towards the grave. And there's nothing his sisters can do about it except watch helplessly. Because you know if Martha is in the house, then every precaution has been taken. Every vitamin ingested, every, you know, you know, oil has been diffused and every medical avenue has been exhausted. And still her little brother, Lazarus, is teetering between life and death. And it's just a matter of 
time. And so in this, their darkest, most desperate season of despair, these sisters do what many, if not most of us do when crisis hits our world. They send words to Jesus. They send up a flare, an SOS, Jesus, please help. Please, would you come show up into our situation and fix things, make things better. Now, lucky for them, Jesus wasn't just some random miracle worker in town. Jesus was actually a BFF to these siblings. True story. Did you see that in verse 5? That's what John meant when he said Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Without limit, without reservation, without condition, Jesus loved these three. They were some of his dearest and closest friends on the planet. Whenever Jesus was around town, he would make sure he stopped in and even stayed over just so he could connect and catch up with these dear friends of his. Some of his closest friends. By the way, when Jesus was hanging on the cross on that good slash gruesome Friday, one of the few people who refused to abandon him in his time of despair was this Mary. She stuck with him to the very end. The greatest day in human history, marking the greatest event in human history, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Guess who he decided should be the first person to visit with? Guess who he decided should be the first person to see him post-resurrection? Yep, this Mary right here. These were some of his closest and dearest friends. And now some of his closest friends are going through their darkest hour. Their own personal Good Friday as it were. So it's no shock that Jesus gives them this message of deep reassurance, the thing we would hope Jesus would say to us in our darkest hour of despair. And he says in in verse 4, if you notice, he says, hey, this sickness will not end in death. It will end in my glory, but it's, it's not going to end in Death. And so now we're kind of at the edge of our seats because, you know, Lazarus is on the edge of this life peering into the next. And we want to know, well, what's Jesus going to do to fix, to remedy, to mend this situation? Well, let's find out. But before we do, can I just make a couple of observations from the story so far? A couple of observations which I suspect might be for some of you the reason the Spirit of God ensured that you showed up to church this morning. Uh, Some observations that I wonder if this is not why ultimately your family members blackmailed you into coming to church on this Easter Sunday. Let me make a couple of observations. Here's the first one. Jesus loves to keep bad company. Jesus loves to keep bad company. Somebody came to church, I don't know who, 
to maybe be reminded or maybe discover for the very first time Jesus loves to keep bad company. I love how bent on convincing us that Jesus loved these three John is. No, he loved Lazarus. No, he loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. His BFFs, these were his slumber party buddies. Loves them without limit. He loves them without condition. He loves them without reservation. I don't know about you, but I, for one, am so glad Jesus insists on making friends with those people. Those kinds of people. I'm so grateful that he is willing to call prostitutes his BFFs. I'm thankful that Jesus doesn't care particularly what reputation I carry around town. He he doesn't care what mistakes or what messes I've made and left in my wake. I'm so thankful that Jesus isn't looking at drug addiction. He's not looking at how many divorces you've had. He's not looking at how dysfunctional your family is to decide whether or not he is willing to come over and hang out at your house and call you BFF because Jesus loves keeping bad company. And if he did it, I would have no hope. And neither would you. With your shady past, Your crazy present. But somebody needed to hear this morning. Regardless of who you are, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, Jesus is willing to call you BFF and come hang out at your place if you would simply extend him the invitation. Jesus loves keeping bad company. And listen, if one of Jesus' closest friends was a prostitute, And one of his favorite stopovers was Shady Inn over at their house. Then you've got to know there is nothing about you or your past or your present or your crazy family that could ever prevent him from calling you friend. Uh, Let me make a a second um, observation from what we've seen so far. And again, a sober observation, but a hopeful one nonetheless. And some of you came to hear this. Jesus' love keeps in bad circumstances. Doesn't spoil, doesn't change, doesn't leave. Jesus' love keeps in bad circumstances. Circumstances. You know, there's so many things about this story we don't know. What was ailing Lazarus? How long had he been sick? Uh, How much pain was he experiencing? What precautionary measures, what post-emptive steps had Martha taken to ensure her brother's health? We don't know so many things about this story. But the thing John insists and ensures that we know for sure is that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus without limit, without reservation, and without condition. He wants us to know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I'm telling you, when I reread this story this last week, 
I was compelled and convinced that the Spirit of God wanted to revitalize, wanted to rejuvenate, wanted to resuscitate somebody's hope through this. I don't know who you are, but I'm telling you, I did a preemptive, I did an advanced happy dance for you and whatever God might want to do with your hope. And no, I'm not going to show you the dance. Make up your own dance. I don't want you trying to copy me and breaking a leg with your no rhythm self. I don't want that on my conscience. But I read this and I knew in my spirit, somebody came here this morning to hear that your darkest despair is no reflection on his love or his care for you. The depth of your agony is no reflection on the depth of his affection for you. The pain and the struggle, the grief and the loss that you're experiencing or that you've experienced says nothing about how deeply and passionately he loves you without reservation, without condition, without limit. Jesus loved these three siblings. John wants us to know. And yet he let them walk through some of the darkest valleys of despair nonetheless. Someone needed to know that. Again, not everybody, but somebody. Because there's someone listening to me whose hope has been taken hostage and whose faith has because we've believed the lie that says if Jesus really loved me and if he really cared about me, he would never let me go through these seasons of darkness. He would never let me experience these moments of despair. And John says, no, no, no. His BFFs went through a season of despair and over their lives was a banner that kept reading, Jesus loves them still. Jesus loves them still. Do you realize that for many of us, that's what has tempted us to throw our faith away. It's tempted us to walk out on the church. It's tempted us to bail on Jesus because we couldn't possibly reconcile how this Jesus everyone says loves and cares could let us walk through these dark days. And John would remind us, even when your dad walked out, Jesus loved you still. Even when your marriage came apart at the seams, Jesus loves you still. Even when that diagnosis showed up for your mom, Jesus loves you still. Even in your low only hours, Jesus loves you still. Jesus' love keeps even in the worst of circumstances. You can be absolutely certain of that. And if there's no other evidence in the Bible, isn't it Good Friday? Where Jesus suffered alone, abandoned, in agony, and God, his Father, loved him still. God's love never dialed down, even in the slightest bit. And so for someone you need to hear, do not quit on him in this season of darkness. He loves you still. Do not walk out on him in these moments of despair. Don't let that keep you from hoping in him because what's happened to my family, how can you tell me Jesus loves me? Don't let that keep you from hoping in 
him. And um, by the way, what he says about Lazarus, he says about you, if you believe him. Now, your darkness doesn't have to get the last word. This despair, this death doesn't have to have the last say. Don't walk out, especially not on Friday. Because I know that all we can see is despair and all we can feel is ache. But in Jesus' panoramic eyes, he can see what's coming on Sunday. He can see what he's about to do. So don't bail. He loves you and he's not done quite yet. Jesus' love keeps in bad circumstances. And the story just gets anticlimactic. Look at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, well, naturally... He stayed where he was two more days. And then, after two days, he said to his disciples, all right, 48 hours are up. Let's go back to Judea. His disciples protest. It's dangerous in Judea. They might kill us, which is true. But Jesus convinces them. And then in verse 11, after he had said this, after he had um, shared with them, he went on to tell them, oh, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples don't understand. They think that Lazarus is taking a nap, which they're like, oh, that's awesome, because if he takes a nap, then he'll feel a little bit better. And so Jesus has to clarify in verse 14. He told them plainly, no, I mean Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. On his arrival, verse 17, says on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, just to be clear, just to confirm that you read that right, Jesus' friends are going through the darkest season of their life. Lazarus is inches away from death. And Jesus decides to hit the snooze button on his schedule and say to his disciples, hurry up, let's stay two more days, extend this little outing. Not only that, while Jesus delays, Lazarus dies. Not only that, by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been buried for four days. And isn't that how it sometimes feels with Jesus? Like, wait a minute. I trust it. Things are not getting better. Things seem to be getting worse with you. I thought you said this would not end in. I thought that. You loved him and you you could have stopped. You should have stopped if you had been there. And it feels like Jesus is just procrastinating on our problems. Taking his time. I've cried out to him in my deepest desperation. I'm just asking him to show up, but he doesn't show up. What shows up instead is a very worst case scenario that I was praying that he would show up to rescue me from. I don't get this Jesus you all talk about with hope and all things work together for the good. I don't see it. It seems like the darkness is getting worse. And it seems like the worst case scenario has actually 
happened. But if nothing else, what verse 15 assures us of is that Jesus is always up to something. Even when we don't get it, even when he seems negligent, even when he seems to be taking his sweet old time, even when it appears he has broken a promise, Jesus is always up to something. I love what verse 15 assures us of. Um, and here's, here's what I think John would have us know. And here's what I, I wonder if the Spirit doesn't want to communicate to some of us, especially when our seasons of darkness have lingered for a while and actually seem to be getting worse, and we actually seem to be living in the worst-case scenario. Jesus apparently loves stacking the odds. Jesus loves stacking the odds. Now, truth be told, I would prefer he stacked the odds in someone else's life, not mine. Let him stack the odds in your life, but keep the odds just fine in mine. Um, in the Jewish tradition, there was a widely held to myth that... Um, the spirit of the deceased would hover around the tomb for two days after the dead person has been buried. It would hover around the tomb almost in an attempt to reconnect with the body with a possibility of bringing it back to life. That was a held to myth. So as you can imagine, for two days after a person would die, in the heart and the mind of the Jewish person, there was the faintest of hopes that maybe it's not too late. Maybe the spirit might make contact this time, even though it's never happened. Maybe this will be the time. So listen, let's hold on for 48 hours with crossed fingers and hearts full of hope. That there's still a chance. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think it's an accident that Jesus waited two more days? This wasn't negligence. This was strategic on Jesus' part. Because Jesus loves to stack the odds. Jesus waited 48 extra hours on purpose to make sure that any Spirits that may have been hanging around the tomb have been evacuated. This is part of Jesus' very strategic, very intentional setup. Because when it feels like he's just unintentionally and carelessly delaying, he is up to something. Sometimes he's stacking the odds to make sure the situation is impossible to make sure that we've exhausted every earthly resource every human option we've posted on every social media outlet and we've called every person that we know and we've spent every ounce of influence that we have 
Sometimes Jesus actually wants us to get to these places of helplessness so that we can't possibly take credit for what he pulls off. So that in the end, only he can be glorified in and through our darkness. That's why some of you are in impossible situations right now. He waited, he stalled on purpose so that his glory had no chance of being mistaken for math, myth, or medicine. He didn't want science or psychology to get the credit. He didn't want, you know, your, your Facebook posts or your, your, your GoFundMe page to, to be what ultimately got the credit. He loves stacking the odds. Have you considered the possibility? And it's a painful place to be. But it's not unintentional on Jesus' part. Let's jump down to verse 20. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, uh, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask for. When Martha hears that Jesus has finally decided to show up fashionably late, she doesn't wait for him. She actually runs and meets him on the outskirts of town to share a grievance and to make a request. And you can hear the disappointment in her tone as she tells Jesus, you should have been here. You could have stopped this from happening if you had cared enough to be here. And some of us feel that way. But now that you're here, can you please fix the mess somehow? Can you make yourself useful now? You're here. Please do something for us. I don't know what. Heal our broken hearts. But do something. Help our financial needs because funerals are expensive. Do something. Get rid of the guilt I feel for not being able to check off the keep my brother alive box on my to-do list. Do something. Get rid of some of our extended family. I don't know. Do something. It's not clear what Martha wants Jesus to do. But what we know clearly is that she doesn't even consider asking Jesus to raise her brother from the dead. She doesn't even consider asking Jesus to bring her brother back. Even when Jesus prompts her, look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, hey, 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 slow down. Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know my brother will rise again. All things work together for the good. In the end, in the event, when we all get to heaven, whatever, on the resurrection day. She still won't bite. See, because the thing about Martha, which is true about many of us, is she's way too practical to ask Jesus to do the impossible. See, it doesn't even cross her mind. It's been four days. Lazarus is dead. The spirits have left. There's no chance, Jesus. Do something else. 
Because that's impossible. I mean, marriages don't come back from this. So I'm not going to ask for you to, to, to raise and restore my marriage. I'll just ask that, hey, can you please at least give us the grace? Let him pick up his underwear and put away a dish or something. Just make the situation a little bit better. Because after 40 years, there is, there's no chance. Diagnoses like this are final. So I'm not even going to think to ask that. But what I'm asking is maybe can you help us with some meals? And maybe, Jesus, can you help with some financial things? Because, you know, that's impossible. You know, atheist grandparents, they don't get saved. And so we just ask, please help him not to rub off on our kids. Single at 45, that's all she wrote. So I'm not even going to ask you that anymore, Lord. I'm tired of asking you that for 20 years. So that's not possible. Can you at least help my friends not to consistently invite me to couples only stuff? Unemployed at 60, I mean, that's a wrap. It is too late. But John wants us to be convinced of this principle. Jesus not only loves stacking the odds, he loves doing the impossible. I think we are the ones who have often forgotten this. He loves doing the impossible. Spoiler alert, by the way, cover your ears if you don't want to know how the story ends. But if you fast forward to the end of this, you see Jesus just flaunting his love for doing the impossible. Um, and in short, Jesus eventually uh, goes to the tomb in which Lazarus was buried. And uh, he asks some people, hey, will you move the stone? People kind of protest like, dude, be funky. We love him. That's kind of gross, Jesus. So no, um, eventually Jesus convinces them. And then he says a little prayer. And then look at verse 43. When he had said this, this prayer, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, get on up. That's, that, that's, uh, that's NIB, the new Ebonics version, or that NEB, NEB, whatever. Anyway, Lazarus, come out, he says. Now, I would love to, by the way, have been there, to have a camera there, and just watch the crowd as they're listening to Jesus, just part company with reality, and have a psychotic break, talking to a dead person. Hey, Lazarus! Come on out. Do you have people? I told you he was crazy. I knew he would do something crazy. I knew he would do something crazy. Get this on Instagram. You know, and Jesus is talking into a tomb. How many of you know dead people do not come out of anything? That's not possible. That's impractical. It is crazy. Nobody can there's Lazarus just comes hopping on out wrapped in cloth. Crowd has to be freaking out. By the way, I wish somebody would have captured Lazarus' first words when he woke up from the dead and unwrapped him, talking about, why is my ex-girlfriend here? You know, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but, but look at it in verse 44. The dead man came out. That's not practical. That's not possible. Unless Jesus is the one who says the word. Unless Jesus is the one who calls out. His hands and feet were wrapped in, with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, let the man breathe. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Dead people don't rise again. 
Listen, if, if nothing else, and this is what some of you came to church to hear. The story reminds us, no matter how dire or dark or desperate or dead your situation is, Jesus loves doing the impossible. And a word from his mouth into the tomb of your despair can reverse the darkness, can undo the diagnosis, can restore what's broken. If it comes from him. And I know my own jaded heart that has seen too much tragedy that I often say, you know what? Let's just start asking Jesus for much more practical things. (laughs) This story is an invitation, almost a dare to ask him who loves to do the impossible to do the impossible. When was the last time? You asked him something crazy and audacious that would have the people around you like, (laughs) she's asking Jesus to to restore her broken relationship with the kids. They haven't spoken to her in 30 years. She's parted company with reality, clearly a psychotic break. When was the last time you asked him to do something? impossible, to break the addiction, to heal the sickness, to restore the relationship. Now, please don't get me wrong. Jesus is Jesus. He has a prerogative to say no. But it should never be because we didn't ask him to do the impossible. Jesus loves doing the impossible. Your darkest hour, the Friday of your life, might just be Jesus stacking the odds so that he can show off his love for you and his glory by undoing the impossible in your world. And when it's all said and done, the question is going to be, do you dare to believe? At risk of disappointment, do you dare to believe? At risk of being ridiculed by people who are like, why are you guys asking for crazy stuff like this from him? You Christians are, do you dare to Believe. Listen, at the end of the service, um, we're going to have a team of dare believers. Um, we will have a prayer team up here to, to join you in praying for God to do the impossible. If the Spirit is stirring something in you and is inviting you um, to, to maybe bring something that's dead and seems impossible to Jesus, who loves to do the impossible. We're going to have at the end of the service just some people willing to pray with you, willing to agree with you, willing to be crazy with you, willing to hope with you. And so we'll just invite you as you consider some of that um, to make the most of that opportunity here in a moment, that Jesus would raise something dying, that he would undo something that's been 
broken. But we can't get out of here without looking at the main point of this story. Um, Because Easter would be good enough if we knew that Jesus can do the impossible. And he loves to do the impossible because he can and he does love to do the impossible. But there is something much better in this story. Look back at verse 25. We skipped over it. And this is what Jesus says as he's talking to Martha before he goes to Lazarus's tomb. This is what he says to her, and this is the point. He said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks Martha the question that I believe he's going to ask all of us. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And the point of this story is not just that Jesus can do the impossible or loves to do the impossible. The ultimate point of this story is Jesus is the resurrection. Not just that he can raise the things that have died, but that he himself is the resurrection. And so before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he tells Martha, I am the resurrection, I am the life, and I offer resurrection to anyone who will believe me. That's the point. And then Jesus describes resurrection, because this is awesome. This is unbelievable. And what Jesus pretty much says to Martha is, hey, uh, resurrection is like it's the anti-death. I am the anti-death and I offer anti-death to anyone who believes in me. That's, that's awesome. Um, resurrection, it's the thing that when you have it, even though you die here on earth... You keep living in heaven. And if you keep living in heaven, you will never die again. Resurrection. It's the thing that when you die, you don't really die. You just change addresses. Uh, It's the thing that when you die, death is just the U-Haul that moves your stuff from the storage unit here on earth into your permanent residence in heaven resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. If you believe in me, death will never be the end of your story. You will live beyond death. The grave will never get the final say. If you are clinging on to me, death can never cling on to you. It has to let you go just like it let me go. This is so powerful. Jesus is saying to to Martha, I am the resurrection. And here's what we've got to get a hold of. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday. I don't 
celebrate raised Sunday. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. He doesn't say, I am the raised. Raised would be good enough. Jesus would say, I can raise things that have died in you. I can bring back things that have broken in you. But Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. Resurrection and raised are not the same thing. And here's the main difference. Being raised is awesome, but the thing about Lazarus is he died again. It is amazing how often I do, I want Jesus, can you please raise something in my life? And that's awesome, but the problem with being raised is that you die eventually. Jesus can, can raise and restore a broken marriage, but the reality is one day one of us is going to die, if not both of us, and this marriage will be over, and then I'm going to have to face the grave. Jesus, I've been begging you to undo this diagnosis. Jesus can undo the diagnosis, as impossible as it seems, but eventually m- my health will fail and I will die. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. What I offer you is something that is death-proof. Death cannot hang on to the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, he never died again. Amen? What he offers us is not just a temporary fix to rearrange pictures in the storage unit called earth. That's beautiful, and he's willing to do it, and he wants us to ask him. But when it's all said and done, he's asking Martha, do you believe that even though you die on this earth, That you will live forever. I am the resurrection. If you believe in me, death is not the end. If you believe in me, I will resurrect you on that day. And sickness will never be able to touch you. Abandonment will never be able to touch you. Loneliness will never be able to touch you. Addiction and sin will never be able to touch you again if I resurrect you. Jesus is saying something so much better than being raised. So listen, this morning, we want to invite us to ask Jesus to do the impossible and to raise the things that are broken in our lives in this world. But more than anything else, we want to invite you to ask Jesus to give you his resurrection, to offer you resurrection. The guarantee that even though you die, you live forever and ever and ever and death can never cling to you again. And then he asks Martha the question he asks you, do you believe that I can do that for you? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and I offer resurrection to you? The band's going to come out and uh, we're going to close in singing um, a song together, uh, reveling in that. And, and even as we do, I, I do, I want to invite you To answer the question, do you believe that that Jesus loves to do the impossible in whatever situation has you caged in, in whatever situation of despair you might be in this morning? Ask him. But I also want to invite you more than that to ask Jesus to offer you the anti-death. To offer you the thing that allows death to simply be the portal that takes me into life that lasts forever and ever and ever where death can never go. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. And Jesus says, do you believe that? Will you believe? 
So let's sing together and then we'll close in a time of prayer here. Amen. Oh, man. Church, that is the truth. The Lamb has overcome. And what we want to be convinced of is that He has not only overcome sin and death and the grave, but He's overcome sin and death and the grave for us. And He's willing to overcome whatever it may be that's crushing around your world. He's willing to overcome whatever it might be that's keeping you in darkness and despair. So even as the prayer team comes up, if there's something that you want to ask the Lamb to overcome, He loves to do the impossible. But most of all, we don't want anybody to walk out of this place this morning without knowing that death has been overcome for you. That Jesus Christ offers resurrection and that you are saying, I believe and I receive the resurrection, the anti-death. And you can walk out of this room with the assurance that even though you die, you live nonetheless. The grave doesn't get the last word when you believe in Jesus. So whatever it is that the Spirit is doing in you, would invite you to come up and spend some time with a prayer team. Otherwise, let's live in the power and in the light of His resurrection. He is risen. Amen. Amen. God bless. Come up and pray. And for the rest of you, let's dismiss quietly and we'll see you next week.